Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the United States Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Margellino. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great, Joe. How are you? Fantastic, especially now that it's, uh, it looks like we're going to be rain-free for a few days here at least, and uh, and it's finally fall weather. Um, it's nice and there's that crisp chill in the air where you're kind of like, ooh, I should have brought my jacket. Uh, yeah. So yeah. My family is doing apple picking today on this, uh, on this holiday Monday. So, uh, I think they're looking forward to that. Excellent. Much hope better than, uh, the better choice than I made when, when the wife and I went, uh, last Wednesday when it was like 85 out, which yeah. uh, was not, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to get into the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I, I, let's just stand at this one tree. It's got a lot of apples on it. You know, I'm, I'm, right. I'm hot. Anyway, uh, you can send uh, questions and feedback, or, or you know, you want to tell us your apple picking stories. Uh, send an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail dot com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at at nhhsports. You can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh highschoolsports dot com, or on Spotify or Odyssey. Uh, well, you know what? Let's uh, let's just jump right into this uh, because we got a lot to talk about today. So yes, we do. We'll start as we start uh, every show. Uh, we pick a player and a team of the week. Uh, e- each of us do. So we've got a, a pair of players, a play- pair of teams. Uh, and I don't remember. Is it uh, your turn to go first or my turn to go first? Oh, uh, I'll go first. Okay, you go. You go first because you, yours, uh, y- definitely worth mentioning first. Yeah. So we're doing player here. Sure, player of the week. All right, so I think it's, yeah, I mean, how do you not lead off with J.J. Bright from Sauhegan? Um, you know, I've, I've made a stance the last couple seasons of being like, you know, it's not just going to be the big stat guy, right? Like, it's going to be the difference. Well, sometimes <laughs> the difference maker is the running back who goes 27 carries, 457 yards, and five touchdowns. <laughs> sometimes you can't, you can't say, well, I'm not going to go the stats. That that stat line is, you know, legendary, right? Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, a couple is. backs in the state. There was, um, was it Josiah Wade? Josiah Wade from Central, yeah, has the state record. Uh, it's like 550-something yards. Right, right. It was Central versus Merrimack at yep. Merrimack probably. I think it was, I don't ten, know, it was 10 years ago. I, was I, that 10 yeah, years yeah. ago? Um, but this is, this is a, this is huge, right? I mean, uh, all, all of, a lot of that came in the second half. Um, looking at, uh, Roger Brown's helmet stickers. I saw runs of 80, 67, 60, 55, and 67 yards all in the second half. My was, God. Yeah. It was basically like every time he touched the ball in the second yeah. half. Um, and they were plays. It was like some of those, uh, you know, I don't know what the difference was, you know, first half, the second half. But some of those plays, he was untouched, um, you know, going going on runs like that. Was just it just a crazy, you know, crazy game overall. It was a forty-one twenty-two final, and it was scoreless at halftime. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, so uh, a huge performance over obviously a quality football team, Hanover. Uh, you know, it's not like he was just running it up against a a one in five team or something, right? I mean. Um, and also huge hats off. I know this isn't the point of this segment, but huge hats off, obviously, to the Sauhegan offensive line, which, you know, you can you can always say, hey, a back had a great night. But um, obviously, the the offensive line and the wide receivers for Sauhegan were doing something right there. 
if JJ could have that kind of a second half. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, sometimes I try to, I try to steer away from just the big stat person, but how do you not say that was a major contribution to the team? <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should have gone first with, uh, with those kind of numbers, but anyway, I, my, uh, my player of the week this week, uh, game I was at on Saturday, uh, Summersworth was at Raymond. I'm going with, uh, with Summersworth running back, uh, Tayshawn Shepard. He had, uh, a big game for the Hilltoppers in much less than ideal conditions. Uh, 27 carries, 218 yards, three touchdowns. And for long stretches of the first and, uh, or I should say second quarter and third quarter, he was pretty much their offense. Um, you know, they were giving him the ball a ton. Uh, he was, you know, picking up yards on, on pretty much every carry. He had a couple of long runs. There were a few times that Raymond was able to get him, um, you know, not far after the line, but that was the thing is he, he had, I only had him for one negative run. Uh, and that was only a loss of a yard. Um, you know, did lose a fumble actually, but as a team, uh, Summersworth had, uh, you know, three fumbles, uh, in, in what was like one of the, you know, given all the rain that we've had this fall, it was so frustrating the way this game started because the teams are warming up. Yeah. It's overcast. It's kind of gloomy, but the rain wasn't bad while, you know, at the beginning of the, or before the game, everybody lines up for the anthem and the coin toss and they're introducing kids. And then all of a sudden it just started pouring. Like as we're all just standing there, uh, rain starts coming down. They actually cut the introductions short to get the game started. Right. Uh, and then it was like fumble city. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Shepard was able to kind of overcome a lot of that. Uh, you know, the team as a whole as well. He had two of his rushing touchdowns in the last 90 seconds of the first half that really changed the game. It turned it from a, a 14-6 game into a 28-6 game going into halftime. So uh, a huge game for, for Shepard and for, for Summersworth to bounce back from the loss against Newport last week. So he was uh, he's my pick for player of the week. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good one. Uh, for team, you had uh, you had a group. Uh, actually, both of our teams this week. I feel like our, our teams we haven't talked a ton about uh, will be a little bit more today. But uh, who was your your team of the week? Yeah, this was, you know, and it is it is some weeks a tough one. Um, this was a tough one because there were a number of teams that I sort of went back and forth on. Uh, a couple teams that I got to see, and then there's you know, oh, I read about this or I read about that. But you know, I, I thought it was worth putting uh Merrimack in as team of the week this week um you know they came out with a 23 20 win over Wyndham um you know a a very good Wyndham team um and Merrimack has kind of been you know they've struggled at times this year particularly offensively um and so I thought that this performance this week was was really kind of good because it's important it's really important to that Merrimack team that they got this win um, they've got, you know, an interesting schedule ahead, but, um, you know, I think that's, that's really Merrimack's first real quality win this season. Um, I, I would, I would go so far as to call it an upset for sure. Um, but you know, you had, you, you had the Merrimack offense kind of waking up a little bit, right? You had Logan day catching two touchdown passes, um, Garen Brown, who, who I think everybody would agree is a, is a really good player in New Hampshire, but has been kind of quiet through the first half of the season. Uh, had a touchdown and a pick. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I, I kind of wanted to throw it out there to Merrimack for, for, 
you know, getting what I think could be sort of a, a, a statement slash turnaround win for their program this season. Sure. And, and a huge, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say devastating, but a big loss for, for Wyndham. You know, given, yes. you know, they, they coming off a, a seven point loss to Londonderry the week before, um, you know, so and, and that's actually three losses in a row that they've uh, had by, a, you know, a touchdown or less. Uh, so that really puts a damper on on their, you know, their playoff hopes. They've got Portsmouth coming up this week. Um, you know, really, I don't think they could afford to lose well, three, three wins. I think there were a couple of playoff teams with three wins last year. So. Uh, you know, that would be certainly a tough thing to overcome, but, but really could use a win this week. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of, uh, definitely one that caught my eye, uh, when I saw the results coming in on Friday. Yeah. And that's a good, you know, it, it puts Merrimack's win streak up to two, which again, given kind of the up and down nature of how their season began, um, it's a good place to be headed into South next week. Yeah. They got, uh, yes, they, they, uh, have a bit of a tough schedule heading out there. Um, of course, south this week, but then port at Portsmouth and then home to Bedford to finish out the year. Yep. Uh, so a, definitely a big win if they're going to be in contention yep. uh, for, for one of those spots. So the team I, I decided to go with, uh, I saw for the first time uh, in the regular season live uh, on Friday, and that, that I'm going with, uh, with Londonderry. Uh, you know, they had a... Really, it was like two different halves for the Lancers. Um, you know, their offense kind of sputtered through the first half of that game against North. Um, you know, North was able to to do some things defensively that that just kind of threw the Lancers off. It was just a three nothing game going into halftime, and then after a uh, another pick six by Luke Peters in the third quarter, North was actually up seven to three. Uh, and then Londonderry just kind of woke up. They scored, uh, got in the end zone on their last four possessions of the game, uh, really just turned the game around, um, you, you know, in, in dominating fashion. They they really didn't give up much to North the rest of the way as well. Uh, end up winning that game 31-7 to um, in, a, in a game that I guess you, you could probably say was closer than what that score indicated. But, um you know, yards wise, I had him with with 388, 284 of that on the ground, uh, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, you know, and just a, a good overall performance. You know, they use so many different guys in their offense at Londonderry, whether it be quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. You know, it's hard to to single out any one guy. Uh, I mean, they had their touchdowns came from four different players. Um, you know, but but I mean, as a whole, they've got a, a really great. Um, you know, really great unit there, and, and uh, was impressed with the way they were able to bounce back from some adversity there. Yeah, it sounded almost like the the Sauhegan Hanover game we opened up by talking about, where the the it, it took the second half to sort of kick in and and become an exciting game. But yeah, um, you're right. I've seen Londonderry a couple times this year, and I think they actually rotate four quarterbacks. They, they do. They had, it may even be five. They had four quarterbacks. Uh, at different, like there was only three through the first half, so I thought maybe they'd uh, they dropped a guy from the rotation. Uh, but then a fourth one was there, uh, actually through the touchdown pass. Um, why am I forgetting his first name? I want to say Villa, Alex Villa. If that sounds right. Uh, I hope that's right. <laughs> Apologies if it's not. Um, you know, but um, they. Uh, 
yeah, they rotated those guys in and out, but really they're they're they seem like it works um you know at, at times like if they're if everyone's on the same page um and they're able to you know th- get things rolling it it kind of it looks but i think in that first half it just it, it was you know a little bit um discombobulated like there just wasn't a good flow to things yeah then, they were fine hard to get into a rhythm sort of thing sure yeah yeah and then what what was interesting on one of those late drives um, not only did they have had they changed quarterbacks, they had two quarterbacks in the backfield and were running a little bit of what looked like single wing uh, plays, yeah. um, which I haven't seen them do in a long, long time. Um, so I don't know if that's an that was a new wrinkle or or what, but uh, that was interesting to see. Yeah, and and you know I think the other thing that's kind of worth noting is defensively obviously holding North to seven points is, is notable. And now North's offense hasn't been particularly explosive this year. I think the biggest game that they had was against South with 28 points, but still, you know, that there's talent on that North offense. Um, I mean, Peters is maybe one of the, now going to the defensive side of the ball, Peters may be one of the best defensive backs in New Hampshire. Um, seems like every week we're talking about him getting a pick or something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the North offense has sort of struggled the last couple of weeks. I mean, obviously they played good teams, Bedford and Londonderry, um, but held to a total of seven points well, that, over the last And that, that seven, that seven points was on defense last week. Ah. So their offense hasn't, yeah, hasn't scored in two weeks. Right. Uh, so yeah, pretty big feat, you know, in terms of uh, Londonderry defense as well, getting a shutout there. Yeah, so looking over at Division One as a whole, uh, I kind of felt like going into this week with some of the matchups, especially with the the four teams that I, I kind of felt were, you know, the top four, if you will. Um, you know, we were going to learn some things one way or the other, um, and and I feel like we, you know, what it confirmed was that those four are maybe a little bit ahead of everybody else, uh, or maybe a lot ahead of everybody else, and I those the four teams are, I would. Uh, reference Pinkerton, Bedford, Londonderry, and Portsmouth, all with convincing wins, respectively, over BG, Dover, North, and Exeter. Uh, you know, I kind of feel like maybe that's your separation point, those those four, and then um, the next four that we're talking about, along with teams like, you know, Salem, and um, now I can't remember who else I was going to throw in there as well. Uh, but, but, you know, I think you... you uh, you're un- you understood what I was talking about when I mentioned that, just that uh, those four teams seem like they might be your four maybe co-favorites at this point. Uh, and then there's a, uh, some teams that have got some work to do to maybe catch up to those those teams. Yeah, no, I mean, we often say at this time of the season that you start to see separation. And sometimes it's just two teams. Um this year, I think you're right, though. I think that it's it, it really is those four teams. And, you know, interestingly enough, I, I think it's four teams that are built differently. You know, they but but one thing that they have in common, I, I think anyway, is that they they all have sort of a good, they all have a very good defense and they all have a very, very much kind of like an offense by committee sort of thing. Right. It's not like one superstar, like the quarterback or the tailback or something that's like getting it done um in my mind having seen all those teams at least once um and and reading about them and researching them and stuff they all have a very very good 
offensive football team in terms of being able to have have it distributed around right and get the get the yardage through different means so that's an interesting trend this year in division one they all have uh, from my understanding too uh very experienced and big offensive and defensive lines um yeah i mean it's i mean that's I, I hate I hate bringing up cliches or being using cliches, but that's I mean that's how you win, that's how you win football games, right? Is is with the guys up front. Uh, oh, ab- absolutely! All four of those teams are, I think, legit. Uh, strengths of their teams are are the guys up front. I agree, and and actually, if you think about what I was just saying, it actually enables that, right? You know, if if your offensive line is really good, then you can get more people involved. You don't need a premier running back, for example, to make things happen, you can mix four or five players in and have them contribute in different ways according to their skills because you know that you're going to get the blocking. You know you're going to get seams, and it makes everybody better. So, so yeah, it, it, it sort of adds up if you put it into that equation that, that that's the way it's going to work, right? Good offensive lines, good solid defensive fronts, and the ability to work the ball to different people um, with different sort of, you know, skill sets and styles and stuff in the offense. And um, that seems to have been the formula in Division One, at least for those, what we're calling top teams right now. I think of those four games, the one that I was most intrigued about was that Exeter-Portsmouth game. You said you were you got to see a little bit of that. Um, I did. How, how did that kind of unfold? I mean, was it, you know, I, you see the final score, and I, I you know, I heard that, that Portsmouth had a couple turnovers that maybe – don't happen then that that's maybe a, a much wider margin of victory yeah i you know it was a very it was it was a very uncharacteristic game in terms of something you would expect to see exeter playing in um because one i really think that you know to your point you made earlier i think that portsmouth's offensive line overwhelmed exeter's defensive front and I can't remember the last time that I've been able to to say that. I mean, I, I started coaching against Exeter back in 2002 when I was with Merrimack um, as the offensive coordinator. And I've probably seen them play at least once, if not multiple times, every single year since then. Um, and I've never seen the Exeter defensive front be pushed around. Um but they kind of were. And, and to your point, it wasn't a couple turnovers. Portsmouth survived five turnovers. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, it was two fumbles, two interceptions, and a bad, you know, bad snap that was recovered. I can't remember whether it was a, a shotgun snap or whether it was a, um, you know, a long snap on special teams. But despite that, Portsmouth really had Exeter in a field position hole for what felt like most of the game. So, well, Exeter won the turnover battle clearly right five turnovers uh portsmouth just had their boot on exeter's neck in terms of the field position battle for most of the game um defense was very very sound it, you know again i i i talked about portsmouth's offensive line kind of controlling exeter's defensive front it was kind of the same on the other side too you know exeter loves to to be very precise and ground grind out yards on the ground and the the Portsmouth defensive front was just relentless you know they've got two inside linebackers who are also um, running backs on offense who are just like they look like tight ends 
you know, um, one is Cole McLaughlin and the other is Brooks Connors. And McLaughlin was all over the field, you know, inside run, outside run. It didn't matter. He was he was taking an angle and making plays at the line of scrimmage. Exeter just couldn't get going. Um, and so between having a couple of big running backs, you know, Brooks Connors had 139 yards on 17 carries. I don't have McLaughlin's stats, but he was all over the field running the ball. It was just, it was just Portsmouth out physical Exeter, and I feel weird saying that because <laughs> I don't I don't remember the last That's, time I would have said that. Right, like uh, sometimes Exeter will get out finessed or out speeded or you know whatever, but I, I I don't remember the last time I said they got out physical, and it was very clear to me that that was what won the game for Portsmouth. Uh, I was going to try to find you some stats there for McLaughlin, but uh, I'm so far coming up empty. Um, sorry about that. And uh, I mean, it. Yeah, it was. It was maybe. You know, I think maybe this was the last matchup. Um, you know, like I said, those other three games, I had a. I had a feeling I was leaning one way, over the other in terms of which team I thought was going to you know take those games and and how convincingly they might win them. But this was kind of the one game that still I felt like it was a toss up to me. And now, you know, it kind of maybe confirmed what I maybe suspected. Uh, but again, until you actually see it happen, you, you never really know. Uh, and I, I will say from, from the game I was at, I started wondering if maybe I, you know, well, not just the game I was at, but you also saw the early, early returns from, uh, from Dover with their game against Bedford. They go up, Seven nothing on the opening drive. First team to score a touchdown on Bedford this season, and then later in the first half, they're up ten to seven. Right. Uh, and then all Bedford does is score what the next thirty-five points and wins forty-two to ten. Similar, I, I would say, to the game I was at, where Londonderry's, like I said, up three nothing in the first half, uh, and then they go and score uh, what twenty-eight unanswered on their final four drives. So. Um, yeah, I think I think we're kind of seeing, like we were talking about, we know who those top teams are, and now we're going to see a lot of these other teams kind of battling it out for the next, I don't know, what is that, nine playoff spots? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and some of them, you know, they're going to look a little, you know, look a little strange. I think we're, we're in line for certainly, if not some upsets, maybe some strange games or results in that opening round. You know, you look at a team like... Um, Keen that is you know has gotten hot uh they're at three and two right now in the west conference uh ahead of bishop girton ahead of merrimack who you know we were just talking about a little bit uh you know and and that's a huge game coming up this week i believe bg has to go to Keene um this week you know you know what's now a huge game for playoff seating uh north then plays them the following week you got some some uh, you know, things that will be figured out, you know, coming up in that conference. Uh, we talked about Salem a couple weeks ago, you know, that they finish off the year with Pinkerton and Londonderry. Um, you know, they've got Central this week on a Thursday night game. Uh, you know, that could, they could be, again, 6-0 and going into those final two weeks. Um, and then the other, the other, I guess, big one, really, in Division One, you've got uh, Exeter going to Londonderry on Friday. That should be, uh, again, a one that could, that could, that potentially has uh, home field advantage in the quarterfinals on the line. If you figure Londonderry looks like they should be the four seed 
and Exeter could be the you know the fifth seed, the winner of that game ends up hosting the loser um, down the road, assuming yeah. that all things break you know in in their favors the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, going back to that that Exeter game and and the comment you just made, you know, Exeter has an interesting schedule ahead. They've got that Londonderry game coming up this week, uh, which which you know that's that's an interesting matchup because the 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 defense that reminds me most of Londonderry is is actually what I saw from Portsmouth Oyster River this week. Uh, very very similar defensively. Uh, Londonderry and Portsmouth Oyster in terms of the way they're they're built in terms of the way they play right so um, you know whether whether Exeter was able to kind of learn some lessons from that Portsmouth game and now they can apply those to the Londonderry game I think will be critical uh, because Londonderry's front is excellent as well their defensive line is outstanding Um, but then they end with Dover which you know like you said Dover just kind of They've been a little up and down this year, but obviously a quality football team uh, jumped out on Bedford early. You know, that game kind of had that feeling of inevitability, though, right? Like you were just waiting for Bedford to explode um, because that's that's the trust that Bedford has sort of built up this year. Yeah. uh, In terms of what they've been able to accomplish. Right. And then, you know, you had Brody Helton, you know, just exploding for 210 yards on 10 carries. It's just that's just what he does at this point. Right. 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 And I mean, behind that big line. And like I said last week, it's not just their line, their tight ends, their wide receivers, everybody gets on a body and blocks. So even being behind like they were, Bedford sort of has this feeling of inevitability, like they're just going to explode on you. How do you contain that? <clears throat> All right. Uh, any other thoughts on, on Division One or, or, or should we move on to D2? No, other than what I think you were you were saying, which is we learned a ton this week. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's some really big games coming up in the future here, but I, I think, I think it's things are really starting to take shape now. Actually, I, there is one, I want to mention one other game coming up this weekend uh, because I, I just want to point it, you know, if, if people are looking for us, uh, uh, you know, uh, something interesting to go see on Saturday, obviously there's, there's really good games on Saturday. Uh, Pinkerton is hosting Brockton. In, uh, oh, in, yeah. in an out-of-state game. And uh, we haven't talked a lot about these games, um, you know, largely because they don't count in the standings. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're great, sometimes great games to go see. I think this one would be a great game to go see, not just because of, you know, two really good football teams, the, the rivalry that they've had for years and years and years. Brockton, I don't know if, if people are aware, is uh, coached by former uh nfl player patriots player uh jermaine wiggins oh wow i didn't know that. yes uh so if you're you know and and i don't you know i know he's uh in the past been a, a you know a radio personality on different stations in boston and and is certainly a character um so i would you know if you you're interested in that kind of thing uh might be worth going out to to pinkerton this saturday it's a two o'clock kickoff uh, I was also interested in this game too, because for another reason. Because as you know, as I, I've, I don't talk about it much on here. I don't think, at least I don't think that I do. Maybe, maybe I do. And uh, but Brockton also has a receiver who has committed to Pitt, which is where I went to school. Yes. Uh, so I was interested in seeing what uh, what he looks like. His name is uh, Cam Montero. Uh, he's uh, verbally committed to Pitt. Uh, so that was another thing that was, um, 
was on my radar and I thought uh wanted to inform everyone else about that too just in case you were looking for uh a game to go to on Saturday well I'm sure that's also on coach O'Reilly's radar I he'll would be bra- think, <laughs> I would think so yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll be bracketing him with Morrison and somebody else probably but uh in that Pinkerton secondary right, but man right. um yeah that's that's a little bit intimidating but uh Hey, hey, we we just said at the beginning of this show, Pinkerton, we're calling them, you know, a top four team in New Hampshire. They certainly are. I guess it's time to see. Yeah. All right. So Division Two, uh, we already talked a little bit about the Sauhegan Hanover game, but um, there's I, there's just so much that was going on in this game. Um, y- you know, sometimes the final score and the stats don't really show everything. Um, like we said, it was a scoreless game at halftime. Uh, Sauhegan had a couple turnovers, I want to say, like in the red zone. Um, you know, Hanover came close to scoring a couple times as well. And then uh, and then J.J. Bright, I think every time he touched the ball, scored in the second half, if not every time. He maybe had five of his seven carries or eight carries, something like that, uh, go for scores. You know, but Hanover was, was hanging in there. Um, you know, 41-22. Uh, you know, it doesn't, maybe doesn't sound like it as much, but, um, it, it, I think until Pinkerton, or excuse me, until Sauhegan scored that last touch, it was th- what, 37, 20, or not so 37, 34, 22. So it was a one score game, you know, up until the last couple of minutes there. And, and what I thought was interesting for Hanover was they were switching up on offense, going from, uh, you know, a, a more of a spread look with, with Jeffrey Vidu at quarterback, running and throwing the ball and then lining up in their more traditional power offense with, uh, with Roger Lucas at quarterback. And they mm. also mixed in a guy by the name of, uh, of Jason Oriole, who, uh, who I, I didn't know this watching the game, but again, you mentioned Rogers, Roger Brown's helmet stickers on, on a New Hampshire football report. He mentions there that this guy was uh, is a defensive lineman and looking at him on the video, he sure looks like a defensive lineman. Uh, had touchdown runs of, of 40 and 70 yards. And on one of them, I don't remember which one it was, he dragged a Sauhegan player from the five into the end zone. Oh, wow. Yeah, so an interesting uh, mix for, for Hanover there. And I don't know if that's something that they just broke out for this game or, or something they were looking to do, but it, it, whatever it was, it looked like it, you know, it gave them a nice, um, nice wrinkle and something uh, yeah, that teams don't have to worry about. I mean, as much as as Bright had a huge performance, obviously, and, and Orioles doesn't quite match that, but I mean, he still had a 40-yard touchdown run and a 70-yard touchdown run, which again, from a defensive lineman, big guy, you know, you expect that to be a pounder. And obviously he was if he was dragging a kid five yards to pay dirt, but he also broke free for for two explosives against Sauhegan. I, I had to go back and watch that touchdown, that run three times because... You know, as as we were, you know, joking all, all before the show, Hanover's got one of those robot cameras that tries to follow the action, and sometimes it doesn't follow the action. So you kind of see him get, get see that happen, uh, but it's it's hard to tell, uh, you know, the conclusion of the play because the camera doesn't move all the way over. Right. Um, but it was well, you uh, know. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, you know, it must have been a frustrating game for Sauhegan, who was held to their season low offensive output uh, in, in Division Two, at least, with only 41 points this week. Uh, and, <laughs> but, and, and only in one half, too. 
right um but also that that was their that was their um highest score they've given up all year right they they um gave up 21 points to division one Timberlane. um so hanover you know obviously a quality team but yeah you know and then the outlook for Sauhegan going forward, they've got Hollis Brookline coming up this week, but they finish with Pelham and then a, an amazingly sneaky five and one John Stark. Yeah. Whose only loss, by the way, is to Pelham. Only loss is to Pelham, and they've got an interesting game coming up this week. Their crossover game at Sanborn, uh, John Stark is. So that's. You know, Sanborn, a team that that's come on late and uh, has you know has put some things together in in what's been just a, a wacky Eastern Conference in Division Two. Uh, yeah, you know, I know, I know, we've we've discussed, you know, what does the breakdown look like in terms of playoffs and and you know, eight teams get in from from Division Two and outside of the the top two teams in each conference, it's it's whoever has the best rating, uh, you know, and, and it's it's shaping up to look like four teams from the West are going to have a shot at getting in. Um, Sauhegan, Pelham, Stark, and Hanover. Uh, so that would leave four spots on the East uh, unless something crazy happens there, which I say that, and, and well, something crazy has been happening, it feels like, every week yes. uh, on this side. You know, and, and I would say there's... I, um, I, I'm going to go with a... I don't, you know, we don't usually do this on the podcast just because... Uh, you know, it's it's sometimes you need to think these things through a little bit more. But I've given this a little thought, and I, I have kind of a, a breakdown of what I think could end up happening in terms of playoffs. Who gets in? Obviously, you got a big game this week with between Kennett and Plymouth. Uh, it looks like it's a it says it's a seven o'clock game at Plymouth, so I'm guessing they're they're bringing in lights for this game. Um, you know, Kennett's coming off back to back losses to Sanborn and Bow. You know, Plymouth bounced back from its first loss this past week with with a big win over over Guilford Belmont. So this is, uh, you know, I think the winner of this game ends up winning the conference. Uh, yeah. Despite Plymouth having uh, a tougher schedule the rest of the way, they have St. Thomas and Sanborn in their last two. Kennett's got Merrimack Valley and Hollis Brookline. I think those two teams, regardless of who wins, those two teams are certainly in the playoffs. I think something disastrous would have to happen if, for one of them to miss. Yeah. Uh, but then you look at, at uh, like I said, you've got St. Thomas and Sanborn, who are both at 4-2. and two. Sanborn actually is, is second in the conference right now because of its win over Kennett. Uh, they've got some extra points there. Yep. Uh, St. Thomas plays Bo this week, and Bo's right behind all of them at 3-3. Three and three. Uh, They just beat Kennett as well this past uh, this past week. So I think the winner of that St. Thomas Bow game is in, and the loser is probably going to have, you know, a need to get some help from somebody. Uh, and then looking ahead, too, I, I, when we mentioned Sanborn, John Stark, uh, that's huge for either side because, um, again, both teams have Sanborn's at four wins, Stark is at five, a lot of points available for that game. Yep. Uh, and then in a couple of weeks, uh, on, the, on the 20th, you've got, another crossover where Guilford Belmont is going to play Hanover. I think the winner of that game uh, is probably in, and the loser might be in trouble, depending on what else happens the rest of the year. Right. 
So this is a yeah. this is a big big week, and there's a lot a lot of moving parts to this uh, this division two playoff picture right now. Yeah, I I was a little uh, so obviously speaking of of some of these teams that you just mentioned, and you, you know the the Plymouth came back and sort of had a statement win this weekend. Um, interesting for Plymouth talking about what's ahead for Division Two. Um, they really got it done through the air against Guilford Belmont. Um, with Luke Diamond throwing three touchdown passes to three different receivers. Uh, I'm going to maul these names, but Eli Ebergwen, Will Foisey, and Jackson Rayner all had touchdown receptions. So, I mean, that's a little bit unusual for a Plymouth team. Um, you know, you got to wonder whether they took some lessons from the Sauhegan <laughs> boss, yeah. you know, really, and, and kind of said, hey, we've got we've to reallocate a little bit of what we do offensively, maybe or whatever, who knows. Right. But, um, you know, a Plymouth team that has kind of woken up its passing game could be very dangerous going into this, this last stretch, as you just described here. Yeah. That's uh that's an unusual uh, stat for, for the Bobcats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. Maybe, you know, they've got a new uh, air, air Sanborn offense going up there. That's, you know, right. <laughs> I'm sure a coach would appreciate that. We've seen, uh, we've seen some crazy things happen this year. And, and so I'm not leaving anything off the table. Yeah. And this, I think the Sanborn Stark game, um, which I think is at Sanborn, correct? On yes, it's, the afternoon. It's Saturday at one. Yes. Yeah. That's a huge game too, because, you know, Stark is in great position right now, but if you, if you look at their body of work, you know, they, 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 they beat Hanover, which I think is a quality win. They beat Milford at the beginning of the season, which, you know, Milford has kind of had its struggles this year. Um, and then they really teed off on West and Hollis, Hollis Brookline. They, they beat Hillsborough during Hopkinton this weekend. So Sanborn, you know, going all the way back to the Hanover win, which was week two, Sanborn is really Stark's like best opportunity here in the last several weeks for a quality win and, and some significant points in this race. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that game plays out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to see that. And then Stark has finishes out the year at Sauhegan in the last week of the season. Right. Um, as you mentioned, the, yeah, Sauhegan has a, a pretty good stretch there to finish as does Pelham. They, you know, of course, Pelham and hosts Sauhegan on, on the 20th and then uh, hosts Hanover on the 27th to finish out the regular season. Right. So still a, a whole lot left to determine uh, on the west side of uh, Division Two. Yep. I don't. Know, any other final thoughts about uh, D two? No, I don't think so. I mean, I thought. You know, I, I think the only other thing worth mentioning was that um, Merrimack Valley got a big win over West this week um, to go to two and four, um, thirty-seven to six, I believe, was the final score. So you know, I think. I think that's that's a nice story for the for Merrimack Valley program, which has sort of had its up and ups and downs over the last uh, over the last couple seasons. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to to D three, and um, I guess the big talk there this week uh, actually really didn't involve anything on the football field. It was more off the football field with the announcement that uh, Kearsarge was was forfeiting the rest of its varsity season. And was just going to play uh, a JV schedule the rest of the way out, um, you know, meaning that um, 
you know, everybody that hadn't played them yet is getting a win. You know, so that's uh, it's unfortunate for Kearsarge and, and unfortunate for, you know, all those teams too. I mean, even if you're, you know, it's a, a game you go into knowing you've got um, a very significant uh, advantage, you know, you still, you only get so many football games uh, over the course of your high school career and to have them, you know, like you look at a team like Trinity that's now lost two of them, uh, two, had two games forfeited against them this year. You know, that's takes your nine-game season to seven games and hopefully eight or nine in the play, you know, two more in the playoffs, but you never know. Uh, so, yeah, I got to imagine that's frustrating uh, for, for everybody, not just not just the folks at Kearsarge. No, it's extremely unfortunate. And, you know, that there's there's no judgment or blame there in saying that because, um, like you said, it it negatively impacts everybody. It impacts the Kearsarge players and coaches who probably worked really hard to try to to pull a good season together that could be memorable for the kids. Um, and, and obviously, like you said, it impacts the teams that are able to field a unit this year, but, but, you know, they end up kind of losing out on a game um, that they, they were looking forward to and counting on, you know, every, every one of these games is precious. So um, yeah, unfortunate. You just got to hope that, you know, kind of like uh, Trinity five, what, what was it? Five years ago, maybe. Uh, I think it's been more than that. Uh, has it been longer yeah, than that? God, yeah. time goes by fast. Um, where they had to kind of forfeit a season. And, you know, I don't really, I don't necessarily look as hard at the COVID years where teams had to forfeit and things because those were different circumstances. But, you know, you see how quickly the pioneers recovered from that um, and were able to put a really good quality program back together again, obviously. So you, you kind of hope that maybe this little bubble here with Kearsarge and you also have Lebanon in a, in a situation like that. Uh, you hope that these teams bounce back and recover pretty quickly. W- wondering too, if, if maybe newfound is headed in this direction. I mean, they had, um, you know, their season opener against Summersworth, they postponed to uh, the, the 21st, which is uh, the second by week in division three, or excuse me, division four. And then they also forfeited a game against Newport earlier this year. So, you know their their numbers might be a little bit low. Hopefully they're not headed in the same direction. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's rough. You know, probably a, a topic for for you know a, a week where we've got less going on. Uh, we might have threatened one of these last year, but just you know maybe it's time to to start looking at you know do we do we go to you know a, a division that has you know just like seven man football um you know just like i think maine does um you know just for some of these smaller schools so they're not you know having to you know their their lower numbers maybe don't affect them as much i i don't know i'm just uh you know just throwing that out there but yeah yeah cuz i mean co-ops can be tough when you get into these lower division schools because geographically you're not located near anything right i mean you're it's hard to say could Kearsarge co-op with somebody, for example, right? If you're not geographically co-located near somebody, that becomes very difficult. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is, Joe. That's certainly an interesting thought. And like, if you don't want to, we don't want to get too deep into it because we still have sure. more. Yeah. But I think it, you know, it, it. We give a lot of, um, you know, we give a lot of attention, and rightfully so, because it's, 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 they're, they're the bigger schools and the bigger profiles. We give, but we give a lot of attention to the the higher divisions, the bigger divisions, right? But I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on these division three and four schools and coaches, um, you know, to, to field these teams, right. They're, they're scraping together in some cases, a minimal roster every year. You've got to be extremely careful about how you practice 
because attrition uh, and injuries and depth is such an issue when you're in that position. So, you know, you have to be very careful about how you design your practices and the type of drills that you're doing and the amount of time that you're spending in contact versus non-contact. But you're also trying to get ready to win a football game. So I, I think that there's a lot of work and pressure um, and, and skill that goes into coaching and playing for these smaller division teams that, you know, are, are struggling with numbers and so forth. And, and so I don't know. I don't know if there's a good solution there or not. I just know that it's not an easy job to do when you know that your roster is very tight. And I have a lot of respect for those guys that are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... The other, um, you know, a couple of other big things that happened in Division Three this week. Uh, you had uh, Fall Mountain getting a 27-16 road win over Stevens, uh, which is uh, the Wildcats' fifth win in a row. Puts them at 5-1. and one. And again, as we talked about, they're, you know, only a, a few minutes away from, from being 6-0 and uh, with that first loss of the season to Monadnock coming, um, you know, in overtime and, and Monadnock tying it late in regulation, you know, and, and the thought is a lot of times is that, you know, in, in divisions or, or I guess just in any division, given whatever the playoff structure is, five wins is, is usually enough to get you in as at least a lower seed. Yeah. Uh, obviously with division three, there's only four teams that get in, but five wins, I mean, especially with, or, or I shouldn't say, especially even with, Fall Mountain still having to play Interlakes Moultonboro this week and then Trinity and then Campbell to finish out the year. Obviously a tough stretch for them. They've got a tough road, yep. Yeah, but, you know, the way it's everybody's kind of bunched up there, um, you know, in that 3-4-5 spot, I mean, you have Interlakes right behind uh, Fall Mountain at 4-2, and two, uh, and their schedule, They've after this week, they got Kingswood and Conval to end the year. Monadnock, even though they're sitting there at, um, you know, they're at three and four with Epping Newmarket and Kingswood to end the year. So, you know, Fall Mountain almost has to look at, I got to think, look at this game, given that they've got Trinity and Campbell to finish. This game against Interlakes is is even still a must win for them. uh, Because if if not, then they lose the tiebreaker to both of those uh, teams that could end up tied with them at the end of the year. Right. And and remind me, Joe. I'm I'm sorry. I I should know this. What is the Division Three playoff format? Is it just four it's teams? Just four, just four teams. Yeah, the top four get in. <clears throat> I believe it's based off of football rating. Yeah. Uh, so even if you know, so I, I yeah, you know what I just said that 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 they lo- you know that Fall Mountain would lose the tiebreak. They lose head to head tiebreakers to to Monadnock, and if they lost Interlakes Moultonboro this week to them as well. Uh, right. But if their football rating ends up better, but I mean that would be tough to see if if they're losing to those two teams, which would have uh, a similar number of wins. Right. Um, so chances are their football rating wouldn't be better. Um. So yeah, really, really a huge week for Fall Mountain. Uh, in the, with that that game, you know the other the other uh, result from the week that I wanted to mention as well was uh, you had. Uh, Kingswood getting a 12-8 win on the road at Conval. And uh, I, I kind of feel like looking at that, that that's a sneaky big win. Uh, I think actually, or I, I should say a sneaky big loss for Conval. Um, and and I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, we are at the end of the two-year cycle. Um, you know, every year the NHIA 
reclassifies and, and teams move up and down divisions, um, you know, every two years in every sport, not just football. And for Conval and Kingswood, they both petitioned down this year, this, this cycle, into Division Three, And with the way the rules are, uh, you, if you petition down, you're ineligible for the playoffs in that first year down. So last year, Conval and Kingswood, even if they'd gone undefeated, wouldn't have been in the playoffs. Right. The second year that you're in, the, in that uh, division, you can make the playoffs, but if you make the playoffs, you cannot petition back down. You have to go back to up into that division. So Conval, you know, had they won that game, uh, they're at four and two on the year. Uh, with you know maybe a tough schedule, obviously a tough schedule this week going to Campbell, but then Stevens, Interlakes, Moultonboro um, to finish the year, potentially you know, and and they could still you know swing it around and and be a playoff team, but they're also a program that's trying to build something there. I mean that's the whole point of the rule being this way is so that you're moving down for the right reasons to move down to to try to reestablish your program, right. Uh, but not making the playoffs this year for them and for Kingswood gives them an opportunity to continue that into the next cycle. So kind of a, an outcome that might benefit Conval more in the long run than it would this year. Yeah, certainly if that's their intent. Um, I have no idea if that was their intent, but that's, I mean, that's just the way it looked to me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, if it was their intent to say, Hey, we'd like to stay down an additional couple of years. I, 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 um, uh, you know, I, I don't really know what their numbers and things are, but yeah, you're, I, I think you're, you're spot on, right. It, it becomes kind of a, there was a bigger story behind that than just, I, I actually didn't realize I had forgotten that Kingswood had also petitioned down. Um, so that, that made that one kind of interesting indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I you know, I'm not saying that, uh, anything's intentional. I'm not, that is no, not no, near no. Where I'm going, but I'm just saying it, it might work out in Conval's favor in the long run. Yeah. 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 No, I no, I knew exactly what you were saying. That, that's uh, that's that's it, 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 it. That is an interesting story, though, in terms of the impact it could have. Yeah. Uh, anything else to, to talk about in Division three or are you ready to, to move on to uh, to D4? And I can tell you more about this uh, game between the Hilltoppers and the Rams. Yeah, no, let's move on. I want to hear that. All right. Uh, I will say this is, uh, you know, I, I checked another another school off of my uh, my list here. I, actually, I, w- I shouldn't say school because Raymond doesn't play at the high school. Uh, they play on a field. Um, I'm not even sure. I think it's further south than the high school. Um, uh, you know, so this is my first time going to, to cover a football game at Raymond. Um, you know, and it's always it's fun, you know, sometimes to go. You know, I went from covering that North Londonderry game at Stello Stadium Friday night to you know, covering this game, which is, uh, you know, much different, um, different world. You've got a field that's basically just fenced in along the side of the highway. Uh, and there's a dollar general across the street. Yep. Uh, you know, not really any bleachers to speak of so that the, the field is kind of lined by fans. Uh, you've got, it's also a, uh, what looked like a little league softball field as well. Uh, so you got, you know, off the ends in the, uh, beyond the end zones you've got you know the dirt infields that are actually more grass right now than dirt yeah uh and then like i said it started pouring rain there's no place to go to to get out of the rain at that point uh so really uh less than ideal situation there uh the game starts out in 
I, I mean, I don't want to call it bizarre because it wasn't. I guess the rain is what made it kind of surreal. Is is Raymond kicks off? Uh, Summersworth goes to uh, to field the kick, and you're you know your two guys back there to field it kind of miscommunicate. You had Shepard, uh, Tayshawn Shepard, who I mentioned earlier as player of the week, and and Seth Worrell back there, and they kind of look at each other like, "Are you going to take it? No, you take it." Finally, Worrell comes, steps up, picks the ball up off the ground, gets his footing, and then goes uh, 82 yards untouched for a, a touchdown. Kickoff return, touchdown. <laughs> and so just like that, we go from near disaster to uh, jubilation for the Hilltoppers. Uh, they don't get the extra point. It's 6 nothing, And then we have uh, a series of fumbles going back and forth. Raymond fumbles the kickoff. Summersworth fumbles it back. Uh, I think Raymond ended up having to punt on the next possession. Uh, Summersworth fumbles again. Eventually, Raymond ties the game on a, uh, a 44-yard touchdown run by Trey Donahue, uh, the, the starting quarterback for the Rams, uh, on a play where uh, right in front of me, um, two Summersworth guys converged to try to take him out along the sideline and ended up taking each other out instead. Uh, and the, the sound of the collision like distracted me just enough. If you, if you watch my highlight video, I lose track of Donahue for a second because the hit was just so loud. I was just like, wait, oh, my God, are those guys okay? Uh, they got up, though, so everybody was fine. That's um, good. Yeah, and then, you know, Donahue goes on and scores. They tie the game 6-6. And sure enough, on the next kickoff, uh, Worrell takes, you know, decides to take it himself this time, or take it, you know, this makes an easier decision, I should say, and returns this kick 75 yards for a touchdown. Wow. So now it's 14-6. Um and I, from there, you know, Raymond struggled to really move the ball after that. You know, once Summersworth was able to to fix its fumbling issues, you know, their offense really got going. Like I said, Shepard had a huge game, had two touchdowns before halftime, made it 28-6. He added another one to start, or, you know, midway through the third quarter. Uh, and, and Summersworth just really piled it on Raymond and, and um you know, a tough loss for the Rams because they had been off to such a great start this year at 4-0. Uh, you know, a couple, uh, you know, close wins, but also some wins where they were put, able to put up a lot of points. Um, not so much this week. Weather, I, I want to say, had a lot to do with that. Uh, yeah. You know, just trying to, you know, Raymond runs a, a spread offense, trying to throw the ball. Um, tougher to do in, in the the rain, muddy, weather, muddy field. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and both teams left the field, I think, kind of assuming that, um, you know, if everything lines up the way it does, they're probably going to see each other again in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sounded like a game where the weather could have contributed to the, the special team situation that you described, too, because, you know, I remember when I was coaching, one of the things that you'd often see in bad weather is it, the kickoff return situation was a lot more dangerous um especially at the high school level i think that's true because if your coverage people if you're kicking off if your coverage people aren't really good at understanding you know how to throttle down keep their feet under their bodies get control of themselves as they're coming to balance to make a tackle you know if you've had a if you've had a heavy rain um that can that can really mess with your ability to make a tackle as a coverage person on kickoff so you know was it the first two kicks that were returned? Uh, the only two kicks that, and yeah, Raymond's only two kickoffs. Yeah, got returned for touchdowns. 
So I wonder if the weather played into that a little bit. I mean, obviously, too, you had said there was some there was some uh, miscommunication on the first kick. I've seen that a ton in my career coaching, too. Right. Where like a weirdly fielded ball just messes up the timing of things enough to actually benefit the return team which doesn't make any sense if you just think about it, but it, it happens more often than I could it, tell yeah, you. It does. It's very so, strange. Yeah. So like maybe between those two things, but I, I certainly could see the weather playing into, you know, like I said, the coverage team's ability to maybe gather themselves properly. You know, you go flying down there at full speed. Sometimes you're just running past the ball carriers out of control. And, you know, if, if you're having trouble getting your feet back under you, that can really contribute to that situation. Yeah kind of a strange uh weekend in division four too just because you had two you know there's only four games each week with the with you know among the eight teams the only other one that got played as far as i can tell uh was you know winnesquam getting a 48 nothing win over newfound um you know i thought bishop brady and newport were supposed to play sunday night they postponed their game from six o'clock saturday to sunday but i'm not seeing a score anywhere so i'm not i'm not even sure if that game got played yet Mm. uh and then uh muscoma and franklin postponed their game actually to monday afternoon uh at 3 30 so that that game still hasn't been played as uh as we're recording this would we assume those were weather postponements yeah i i i know for sure that the franklin um yeah because franklin had a couple of other outdoor home games that they postponed as well yeah um i would assume that that the the Brady uh, Newport game was as well, um, you know. Which I'm—I don't know about you, but I'm getting really tired of all these uh, weather-related postponements. We really need a nice weekend where there's, you know, minimal to no rain at all. Uh, and I—I I don't know. I'm looking at the forecast already. Friday looks good, but Saturday, once again, looks iffy uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah, so, I don't remember the last time we've had so many weekends impacted like this uh, especially for football right it's got to be frustrating oh incredibly I, I mean it's been all and it's been all year too i mean this is going back into you know the late spring early summer right what gives i don't want to hear anything about droughts anytime soon either no, no. talk about droughts <laughs> no first first person that tries to tell you we're in a drought just uh i'm not gonna say punch him in the face but you know maybe give him the dirty the the evil eye I'll tell you, the youth football field that we play and practice on, the middle of that field has been like an undercooked brownie <laughs> for like the entire season since August. It has not dried out. It's just that squishy kind of yeah, mud. Yeah. You know, it's like, like I said, like an undercooked brownie. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. See, but sometimes that can be a good thing. Like just the, the, the good not when you're wearing new sneakers as okay, a coach. No, 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 I, was like... <laughs> I was thinking more. I was thinking of more the the chocolate gooiness of. A bra- of oh well, yeah. Brown, I mean, that is yeah. that's always a good thing. Put a little ice cream on top of that. Away you go. Yeah. Uh, now I'm hungry, Joe. Okay. Well, I guess it's time. I guess it's time for us to go then. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's still here. <laughs> uh, well, before we go, any anything else that we didn't get to this week that uh, you wanted to mention? No, I don't think so. I think we I think we emptied the gun. All right. Well, I think that'll that'll do it for us this week. Uh, Mike, thanks again for doing uh, joining me for this. Yep, absolutely. Always a good time. He's Mike Lockman. I'm Joe Marcellina. Uh, have a great week. Enjoy the games uh, this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.